You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Matthew 7, 7 reads, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you all this morning. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time or maybe you've been with us for the past couple weeks, let me especially welcome you. We're really glad that you're here. This feels like a bit of a weird introduction for me personally. So if you've not been around, uh, for me, as it pertains to being here preaching, I'm actually getting ready to go and sit me out on my way out, okay? Uh, Let's let's, uh, make this a, a great experience together. Um, but uh, so it, it's a joy being able to, to preach to you all this morning. And uh, if you are a guest here, uh, you know, we hope you, you'll connect a little further. We've got a table in the, in the back with a book that we'd love to give you. Uh, you can connect online as well. I'll tell you more about that uh, a little bit later. But let me just tell you this. As I get ready to go uh, with this, my last time preaching, the uh, dominant emotion or just kind of sense that I feel this morning is just one of incredible gratitude not just gratitude that I'm getting ready with my family to go on sabbatical for a little bit. I'm real thankful for that. That's obvious. But I am just so grateful to be a part of this church family with every single one of you. Um, you know, whether you, you've been around for a little while, whether you've been with us since the beginning, it's incredible to me that for those of you in this room you, that have placed your faith in Jesus, God had a plan to do that from eternity past, before you were even a blip on the radar on this planet, God had a plan to bring you into his family and to save you from your sins through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And in this church, New City Fellowship, God chose to put you and express or demonstrate that salvation. All of us, as we're walking with Jesus together, walking through this life with its challenges, its highs and lows, we get to experience together God's grace in our lives as a church family. And I'm just incredibly grateful. I'm grateful for the way people serve. I'm grateful for the way people lead. I'm grateful for all of that. But predominantly, I'm grateful that we get to experience this salvation that God has offered us through his son together in this church family. And so with that gratitude, let's just go before the Lord. Let's invite him to speak to us through his word this morning. Give thanks at all times and all circumstances, Paul wrote, Lord, and and we do in this circumstance. God, I'm just so grateful for the people in this room. I'm grateful for the people watching online. I'm grateful for your word. God, in your word, we get this bold invitation. Ask, seek, and knock. We can ask anything of you. We can bring our requests before you. And so God, this morning before uh, this church family, before these saints, God, I ask that you would speak to us. 
Lord, sometimes I ask for things and I don't know if it's your will to do that or not. This more will be confidently asked, children. And so God, with that confidence, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, you would in fact speak to us. God, this is our collective prayer as we sit under your word this morning. Teach us how to pray. We ask this through Jesus in his precious great name, amen, amen. If you have your Bible still out, please turn over to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. What I wanna begin this morning speaking to you about is your identity, who you are, how you should understand yourself. And I'm speaking about your identity to maybe two groups of people in this room. Number one, for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, I'm talking about who you are right now this morning, how you should understand yourself. And to perhaps another group of people that I'm speaking to this morning are those in this room who have not yet put your faith in Jesus. And this identity is what you could be how you could understand yourself, how you could define yourself if you would receive the salvation that Jesus offers to you. And so we're gonna focus on identity first because the passage that we're looking at this morning about prayer is written within the context of our identity. And we've gotta understand who we are before we get understanding who you are is so important not just because it's nice information, like a uh, ancestry.com report that kind of tells you your lineage and tells you who you are. Brothers and sisters, you've got to understand your identity because who you are determines your purpose. Your identity gives you meaning, gives you significance. Your identity sends your life in a particular direction. And so this morning, to understand what it is we should do we first have to understand who it is we are. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Listen to what it says about us. First of all, concerning the identity of Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So this is something about Jesus' identity. Jesus was sent forth into the world, born of a woman. That means he became like one of us. He took on our identity as human beings. And he was also born under the law. What does that mean? That means how you and I relate to God apart from Jesus is based on the law. If we're able to keep God's law, we're able to have a relationship with God. If we are not able to keep God's law, then he's as far from us as the furthest star is from planet Earth. If we cannot keep the law, there is a chasm between us and God that we could never, ever separate. But listen to what Jesus came to do. He was born under the law to redeem those under the law. We just sung about our great redeemer. What did he do? He moved us from having to depend on the law to have a relationship with God, to being able to put our faith in his person and who he is and what he's done. And on that basis, we no longer have to relate with God on the basis of the law. And then it's gonna continue to show us 
the identity that we have. Get ready to hear your and my identity for those in Christ. He came to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Who are you this morning if you've put your faith in Jesus? You are a son or daughter of the living God. That moved not just from someone who can't keep the law to someone who now keeps the law. You have had the requirements of the law fulfilled by the finished work of Jesus, and now you have been moved from under the law to under the roof in God's household as sons and daughters of the living God. You've been adopted as children. Now, I love that we focused on adoption earlier because as it pertains to our adoption with God, there's a way in which his adoption of us is similar to an earthly adoption we might experience. And there's a way in which his adoption of us is very different from the adoption we might experience uh, naturally in this world. Well, how is it similar? First of all, God has positionally changed you. He has moved you from outside of God's family and under the law to now being inside God's family. You have been positionally put in the family of God. But for any natural adoption, even if you are moved from outside the family to inside the family, your genetics, your DNA will always be connected to your birth parents. Even if you don't know them, that's who you are. But here's what's unique about our adoption into God's family. Not only have we been changed positionally, in Christ, we've been transformed genetically. Let's continue to read what it says about our adoption. He adopted us as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. So now your very nature, who you are as a human being, has been decisively changed internally by God's spirit, uh, bearing the resemblance of Jesus. We could, we could say it like this. In a sense, we said earlier, Jesus took on human nature. He became a, a part of us so that we might share a part of him. We now have the spirit of the living God inside of us by which we call out to God, Abba, Father. What is your identity this morning? If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are a son or daughter of the living God. What could your identity be this morning? If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, you could have the identity of an adopted son or daughter by the God of the universe. Now, this is incredible information, okay? But this isn't just helpful information for us to know because like I just said, who you are determines what you do. Your identity determines your purpose. You are a child of God. What do children do? They ask for things constantly, endlessly. Children ask for things. It is in their very nature. Would you turn now back with me to Matthew chapter seven and someone please just shout at me the very first word in Matthew seven, verse seven. Somebody just yell it out when you get there. Matthew seven, seven. What's the first word? Say it one more time. Ask, ask. And now look at the context, the familial or, or, or fatherly context of this passage. First of all, in verse Verse nine, which of you, if his son does what? 
asks him for bread. The same pattern down in verse 11. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, here's your identity, your father in heaven give good gifts to those who do what? Ask. We are children of God. And one of the things that children do more than anything else in the world is ask for things endlessly. Like, there's a lot of talk in our culture about our lived experiences, and we should not base what's true off of our lived experiences, but uh, perhaps our lived experience, uh, experiences can further demonstrate the truth of, of God's words. So let me just let you into my, my lived experience just a little bit this morning. I live in a house with four kids. Every single one of them has the ability to communicate. has the ability to communicate. I can tell you from my experience in uh, this neighborhood that children ask for things constantly. And just as an aside, I'll give you, those of you who are parents or grandparents, a, a little tip. Not grandparents, you'll just say yes. But parents, here's a little tip for how to kind of field some of the what, many number of questions that you get. This is what I've learned. When I'm, I'm getting question after get question, this is my, my most common response. We'll see. Can we get Dunkin' Donuts on the way to church? Can we go over to this person's house? Uh, can I play the Nintendo Switch? Can we watch a movie? We'll see. Because if I say no, I get five follow-up questions. And if I say yes, I'm committed. And so just a general, we'll see, is how I respond to that. Because I neither have the generosity nor the resources of God. I just have to give that simple, generic answer. We will see. But friends, listen to this. We are children in God's family. God understands that what children do is ask for things. And so what Jesus is saying to us in this passage, emphatically, resoundingly, passionately, is that he has swung wide open the door for you to take your requests to God. That is what this passage is saying to us. The, the door is wide open for you to go to God with your requests, requests. And what you find from God is not a, a parent like me that gives a general we'll see, or not a parent that's always saying no. What you find when you approach God with your requests is a generous God, a glad invitation from a generous God to ask him on the basis of our needs. And we need this generous invitation because naturally you and I are fairly timid when we approach God. We don't rightly understand just how uh, drastically our identity has been transformed to now be children in God's family. So we're timid with our requests. Martin Luther described it well. This is how we naturally are. Unworthy or unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we dare not pray. That's why Christ, in this passage, wants, us, wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts 
to remove our doubts and to have us go confidently and boldly with our requests. We can ask anything of God, but we are naturally timid. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is saying as clearly as he can, uh, come to God, ask him for things. That's what children do. And so let me just show you in this passage how, how uh, loudly Jesus wants us to hear that we can come to God with our requests. So listen, anytime the Bible says something, you should listen. That should just be a straight up, just approach the Bible ready to listen. Anytime the Bible says something twice, it is really trying to get your attention. It is putting an exclamation on something. Anytime the Bible says something three times, it is shouting from the rooftops with a megaphone to you, for you to get this point into your thick head. So in this passage, what we have is, is, is the following from Jesus. A command repeated three times, followed up by a promise that is repeated three times, and then he, uh, he repeats it once again in the immediate next verse. So, so read with me, first of all, the commands. Number one, ask. That's what Jesus is telling us to do, ask. And if you didn't hear me this the first time, let me give it to you in another, another way, seek. And if you still don't get it, let me say it to you one more time, knock, ask, seek, Knock, and with each one of these commandments, a promise follows it. Ask, and you will find. Knock, and it will. Still don't bring our request to God, so Jesus says it all over again in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened for them. Jesus really wants you to understand this morning that the door is wide open for you to bring your requests to God. Three things I think he wants you to get out of this passage to this morning. Number one, through him, you are a child of God and children by nature ask for things. I think the second thing he wants to get across to you this morning is that, is that God not only permits our asking, he commands it. He longs for it. God wants to be bothered with your requests as your father. He wants you to come to him. And then three, the most astounding, remarkable part of this passage is this. When we ask, when we ask, we are guaranteed that God will respond to our prayers. We are guaranteed. We are guaranteed that he will answer. Now, a, a clarification on this. Remember what we said earlier about this new nature we've been given. As we come to God with our requests, we're not bringing him our carnal desires like he's a genie in the sky that just gives us whatever we want. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Now, you can come to him with requests. You can come to him with a desire for a new house or a new job or, or things like that. that you, you can do that. But I don't think that's the, the context that Jesus is talking about here. These guaranteed answers to prayers come from the context of a new heart that if you remember when we looked at the Lord's prayer a number of weeks ago, we asked the question, in our prayers, what do we want than anything else? Anything else? And we had these three responses. God, sure, I'd like to have a new house or a new car, but more than anything else, what I want is for your name to be hallowed, your kingdom to come, and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we come, with a new heart that is making those kinds of requests. This passage is saying, 
there is, there is no way that God will not answer us. When we ask God for things from this new heart, there is no way we will not receive them. They might not look exactly like we thought they would look. Uh, I like how Tim Keller puts it. Anytime we come to God in prayer, he'll either give us what we ask for or answer it if we, uh, what we would have asked if we knew everything that God knew. But make no mistake about it. When we come to God as his children asking for things, he will hear us and he will give us what we ask for. There are, at least what I could come up with for this morning, only two things only two things that will keep you from getting the requests that you bring before the Lord. Two things that will, um, two things that, that will stop us from uh, receiving answers to our prayer. The first one is this. Why will God not answers our prayer, answer our prayers? Number one, because we simply refuse to believe that he actually will. We refuse to believe we refuse to actually take his promise back to him and say, God, you promised this. I'm believing your word, so here I am asking for it. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he once uh, compared God's promises uh, through this illustration of a checkbook, that God's promises to us are like a check, a promissory note that has been given to us from God. Now let's just imagine this for a moment this morning. Imagine somebody sends to you a $10,000 check. You've just received that check and you are amazed. And so this is what you do with that check. You, you, you uh, put it away and every morning you brew some coffee, you put that check on the table, um, you, you, you put some you know, worship music, 91.9 is playing in the background and you're just enjoying through morning devotions, this check that's been written to you. Look at the handwriting and look at the numbers. This is incredible. If that does nothing, what do you need to do with that check for it to have any value to you? Two things. First, what you need to do is you need to endorse it. You need to write your specific name on the back of that check saying, hey, this check wasn't just written to anyone. This check was written to me. So, so I'm personalizing it. This is a check that, that I can take for myself but that's still not enough. What do you need to do with that check? You need to take that check with your name on it to the bank and say, hey, this has been promised to me. Now give me the funds uh, that have been promised to me uh, in the bank. This passage and other passages on prayer were not just written for you to enjoy with 91.9 and your coffee in the morning. They are checks, promises that have been written to you. So what do you need to do with this promise to go to God with your prayers and receive answers? Number one, you need to personalize it. Realize Jesus is not just generically talking to any person. When he says, ask, seek, knock, he's talking to you. He's speaking specifically to you. So you need to personalize that check and recognize that, hey, this is to me. And then here's what you do. You take that check back to God and you said, God, you said to me, you said to me that if I ask, if I seek, if I knock, the door will be open. So God, here I am, just like you said, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. I'm asking for the salvation for my kids. I'm asking for awakening in New City. I'm asking for revival in Manassas. God, you said, you told me that if I come to you, that you'll answer, so here I am. But do we actually believe him enough, believe him in his word, that, that, that he'll actually do what he said he was gonna do? 
It is not enough to just enjoy your coffee with passages like these. Take them to the bank. Take them to the bank of heaven, uh, taking God at his word that you might receive what's been promised to you. One thing we can do to not receive answers to our prayers is that we simply don't believe it. Not receive. Quit asking. Just stop, ask once, ask twice, and then let that be it. You and I are so conditioned, so conditioned for immediate results. If we don't get something right away, I mean, we quickly move on to the next thing because it, that must not be you know, what we're supposed to have. We are so conditioned for immediate results, but I just have some news for all of you this morning. God does not work for Amazon Prime. God does not usually perform next day deliveries. Maybe, maybe he'll immediately answer, but I have found in my own life that it is things that are labored for in prayer for months, sometimes for years, that God brings to fruition. But why will we not receive what we ask for? We give up, we quit. Did you know that perhaps, aside from faith, the most essential ingredient for you to receive answers to your prayers is perseverance. Perseverance. In fact, perseverance is simply an aspect of faith. Faith believes things that we don't yet see with our eyes. So you keep trusting, keep seeking, keep asking. Perseverance. We see Jesus demonstrating that, I think, in this passage. Do you see in, in these requests sort of the um, increasing effort that is offered throughout them? So it begins with asking, God, I want to ask you for something. And he immediately doesn't do it. And so I go, oh, well, I guess he doesn't want us to do it. So what doesn't want to do it? So I'll just move on. No, it begins with asking. Then it moves to seeking. Now, this word seeking is not a passive word. In the parable of the lost coin, when the woman is literally turning her house upside down, looking for that coin, they use the word seek. It's the same word that's used in this passage. So God, I asked, okay, you haven't answered yet. Here I am now seeking. Okay, that hasn't still brought about the response. Here's what I'm doing. I am at the gate of heaven, beating on the doors. God, you said, ask, seek, knock. So here I am increasing my effort, doing anything that I can do through this perseverance to see you open the gates of heaven. We knock, we persevere in our requests until the Lord has been pleased to answer us or to tell us to stop asking. There are tons of examples of this in the Bible. Let me just give you a few examples of perseverance in prayer. So I think early on in the Bible with Jacob wrestling with God, he's there all night long and he, he will not let God go until God blesses him. He's, he's wrestling this thing through. I think of Moses on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights, seeking the face of God. I think of Jesus at time, Miss Man, if, if anybody could get immediate prime time answers to prayers, it would be the Son of God himself. But what do we see Jesus doing at times? Up all night, laboring in prayer. Why didn't he just immediately get answers and go to bed? Because even the Son of God understood that some things are wrestled for in prayer. Some things are fought for, striven for. Other examples. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep going, 
Keep persevering. Keep asking. Turn over there. Best example of any of them, Luke 18. Can I invite you to turn over there with me? Luke chapter 18. We're about to get a lesson on perseverance in prayer through a nameless widow. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. You know, sometimes parables are given by Jesus and we don't quite understand the, what, what did you exactly mean to communicate here? We have to work to figure that out. Jesus says it plainly right here in verse one. And he told them a parable to this effect, that they ought to heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him. Let me say that one more time. Kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. So two characters in the story. Number one, a judge. This is wicked. He doesn't care about what people think. He doesn't care about what God thinks. He really just does whatever he wants. He's not interested in doing what's right. And then there's this woman who's coming to him with a request. But note, she's not just asking for something frivolous. It's something uh, important, something that is pleasing to God. She's asking for justice against her adversary. We don't know what's gone wrong in her life, but someone is mistreating her. And so she's coming to him with this request for something good. Give me justice against my adversary. It says that she kept coming to him. Verse four, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, he had good self-awareness of himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. Hey, to me, this sounds a whole lot like asking, seeking, knocking. She begins by asking. She seeks by keeping on coming back every single day. Uh, and then finally, it says that, that she'll stop beating me down. Like, I can't handle this woman anymore. Give her what she wants. Here's the lesson that we should get from this story. And the Lord said, hear what the judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them long? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Here's the point. If this wicked judge who doesn't care about right into giving her this request, what about our father in heaven who loves us and wants to give us good things? Won't he, if we continually come to him, asking, seeking, knocking, will he not answer our requests? But you and I have to face this piercing question at the end of the parable. Nevertheless, will the son of man, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will Jesus find people that actually understand that prayer requires perseverance? Will Jesus find people who labor night and day until God opens up the heavens and pours out his blessing? Will Jesus find people in New City Fellowship who labor in prayer over the coming of his kingdom? Or will he just find people who pray once or twice and then quit. We are promised that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, God will most certainly answer our prayers. 
We've gotta take him at his word that he's actually gonna do that. And we've gotta persevere long enough to actually see these prayers come about. Why does God have us wait? Why isn't it on prime next day delivery? I don't entirely know. But I think as we wait, as we seek, as we keep coming back and we're not, And he operates on his timetable and his timetable is way better than any timetable you and I would put together. And then secondly, I do know that even while we wait, God is doing something in us in that waiting and perseverance. And sometimes what he's doing in us while we wait and persevere is actually more significant than what he's gonna do through us by answering our request. So this morning, will you take God at his word, believing that he actually wants to respond to you? Hey, I want to share, we'll try something new. I want to show you a prayer journal that my wife and I wrote. It was her handwriting. You can tell it was definitely her. Back in the year 2015. If you guys have it in the back, not all of you are going to be able to read it, but, but I want you to see this. So it was written on May 4th, 2015, if you can't see that. And on the top, it just says Manassas Church Plant. We didn't have a name for New City yet. We just believed that God wanted to plant a church in this city. And so we started praying for things. And what you have to realize about this date is that probably for years leading up to it and then months and then years after it, we continued to pray these requests. Let me read for you some of the things we were asking for back in the year 2015. Number one, we prayed that God would bring about this church from start to finish. It would be all his work for his glory. Number two, we prayed for our family's humility and sanctification. Uh, I've, I've stopped praying for my sanctification. I've had about enough of that. Uh, but uh, but our, our preparedness and blessing for this. Number three, we prayed for the financial needs of the church to be met. To plant the church, I mean, you don't need any money technically to plant a church, but with what we were doing, we needed hundreds of thousands of dollars that we didn't have any of that, that, that we were praying for. Uh, number four, this was a powerful one. One day, years ago, I was walking in Old Town and I just walked in the Unitarian building and felt like that's where we should be. And so we put on here, before we even talk to them, pray for a building to meet in in Old Town, the Unitarian building or something better. One of my children marked up, that's what that little squiggly is in the middle, uh, th- this prayer journal. Uh, number, number five, we prayed that people would hear the message of Jesus, be transformed, given hope and a relationship with God. And then number five, we prayed in 2015 for a solid core team. Here we are in 2021. What can we say, what can I tell you about these six prayer requests? Every single one has been answered by God. How we thought he would? No, he actually did more than we could have asked or imagined when we began laying these before him. We met in that building. We had all the money we needed. We had an incredible core team that put this church together. There's some of you served through the existence of the people in this church. Now, I'll be honest with you. Man, the, the year, we had some great answers to prayers, and it's, it's felt in some ways over the past year, like, Lord, have, have you left the building? Has the glory left the temple? Man, it's been a hard year on our church. Our church looks very different than it did a year ago. A lot of what we prayed for and asked for has begun to unravel. So we're in a position right now where we could just say, hey, God, you you did some good things. Hey, thank you for that. 
we'll just kind of take it is what it is, uh, you know, going, going forward and just kind of, kind of exist as a church. We could say that. Let me tell you what I'm saying and then what I want to invite you to say over the months and years to come. Hey, God, I've got a new list. I've got a new list of things that I want to see you do in our midst for your glory. And so I wrote them out. Uh, I want to just read these for our church. I'm going to be praying for these in the months while we're away. And then when we get back, and I want to invite you to do the same thing. So here's what I'm praying uh, going forward. Number one, I'm praying that God would bring our church out of this pandemic more full of his presence and more engaged with, him, with his mission than ever before. Not just, that, okay, we survived and we're okay, that we would actually come out of this season more filled with his presence, more engaged in his mission than ever before. Number two, I'm just praying that God would shock us with his financial provision for everything we need as a church going forward. That he would just amaze us with how he continues to, we can call home. Um, even this building home has been challenging. Not sure how that's gonna go since the pandemic. Finding a place to, to call home has been challenging. And not an eternal home. Our home is in heaven, but just somewhere we can camp out for the next 10, 20, 30 years until uh, you know, he's ready to, to bring us home or, or whatever. I'm praying he gives us a home. On that first one, I prayed for a, a solid core team because that's what we needed. We needed people who could do kids ministry and hospitality and sound. And we've got incredible people in all of that. Going forward, I'm not praying for a core team. Here's two requests that I have. God, I'm praying for evangelists, number one. I want people in our church, let them serve or not, I don't care. I want people in our church who long for lost people to hear about the good news of Jesus. I'm praying for evangelists. And number two, I'm praying for elders, for God to give more men in this church uh, who can rise to the occasion and, and serve as it's described in First and Second Timothy and Titus. I'm praying that God would give us those. Number five, I'm praying that God would give us crystal clear clarity on how he's calling us to carry out his mission in this next season. God, the world has changed dramatically. Give us crystal clear clarity on what you're calling us to going forward. And then number, five, number six was on the first sheet. I'm just asking for more of it, for more people to hear and believe the message of Jesus, be transformed, given hope and a relationship with God. In the months and years to come, here's what I'm gonna just keep on going before the Lord asking that he would do. And I wanna invite those of you in this room who care about these kinds of things to do the same thing, not once or twice, but take that check to the bank. God, you said, ask, seek, and knock. Here we are as your people pleading with you that you would do these things in our midst. And if we ever needed, you guys can turn that off, any last piece of confidence going forward as to if God wants to answer our prayers or not. We have one final concluding argument that takes all questions away on if God wants to hear and answer our prayers. Let me close by inviting you to turn over to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verse 32. Romans eight thirty-two says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not? How could he not? How will he not with him graciously your absolute worst, lost in your sins, filthy in the sight of God? God said, as we've been celebrating all morning, I want you in my family. And here's what I'm willing to do to make that happen. 
I'm not even gonna spare my own son for your salvation and your adoption. The point then goes like this. If God would give up his son for you and me, how would he not with him give us anything that we ask for? What would he not be willing to do for us if we pray according to his will that would be more than him giving up his son for us? He's made it clear by sending Jesus for us. And so here, these, this last section of this passage, which of you, if he has a son and he asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Even sinful dads like to give their kids good things. How much more will God do that for you and I as we lay our requests before him? And so this morning, if your identity is a child of God, having put your faith in Jesus, take those communion elements and you remember that God did not spare his own son for you. Just as personally as you eat that cracker and drink that cup, symbolizing Christ's body and Christ's blood, just as personally as you take those things for yourself. That's how personally God has given up his son for you. So take those elements in remembrance of Jesus. If you're here this morning, You've not put your faith in Jesus. You're not a Christian. You've been far from God. Why won't you allow Jesus to save you this morning? From it? Why won't you allow him from God to somebody who is brought into God's family? That offer is for you. If you would but turn away from your sins and place your faith in Jesus. Let me invite you as we get ready to pray. Don't, don't pray for any of these requests right now. Just bow your heads and remember what God has already given to you. Allow that confidence to just be established in your soul so as you lead from this place, you can be confident that whatever you lay before the Lord, he's pleased to answer your requests. Let's pray together. God, you command us, you invite us. Ask, seek, knock. So what we wanna do is your people. We've tried a lot of things in our own strength and our own ability. God, we are lost without you. So God, we're asking that you would work in this church, that you would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in New City Fellowship, that you would unite us all together in spite of our differences and backgrounds around the gospel of your son. And I really pray for just a new season of relying on you, relying on your presence, on your power, for the needs we have personally, for the needs we have as a church. You're a good father and we're your children. So God, we're gonna ask some things, ask for some things, trusting that you hear us and that you'll respond. Thank you for these truths in Jesus' name.